Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. players and welcome to UFC London thoughts and comments not coming to you live I must say I had a bit on during the weekend and the card started Australian time Sunday morning 2 a.m and I kind of just I pushed myself on the Friday evening and the Saturday night and I was just fucking rooted to be honest so I just slept I got up after the card had finished uh, so full disclosure, I know the results, uh, but what's today all about? UFC London thoughts and comments. Well, essentially, it's a reaction to the card. Uh, so where I can, I try to do this in real time as the card's happening, uh, but it is what it is. So here I am today uh, to break down the card, and I'm just going to excuse if you hear a couple of clicks. I'm just going to bring this card up on Google right now. And what I'm going to do, I've already watched the preliminary portion, so I'm going to give some thoughts on that now, and then I'm going to go fight by fight uh, for the main card. So some thoughts beforehand, some comments afterward, hence the title, Thoughts and Comments. Oh, Google's fucking shit the bed on me. One moment, please bear with me. Uh, so I'm going to give some thoughts on the preliminary card now, and then like I said, I'm going to flick on the main card and go fight by fight. So... Come on, Google, you son of a bitch. Let's go to the very start of the card. Flyweight action between Jafel Philo. Oh, for fuck's sake, Googly dog. Keeps refreshing and taking the card away. All right, I'm Googling something else. Could I... Um, could I have paused this, not been clicking, edited this so it was a little bit uh, more fan-friendly? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but here we are, and here I am. Hoping that MMAfighting.com uh, can serve me a little bit better than Google had. Yes, here we go. Alright, first fight of the night. Jafel Filho, uh, who we'd seen in a losing effort in his debut against Mohamed Mokaev. Uh, Jafel Filho by decision over Daniel Barrez. Uh, that was my prediction as well. Jafel Filho by submission. And speaking of my predictions... Preview and Predictions podcast returning during the week are going to be dropping a UFC 291 predictions pod. But let's stick with the action. So Jeff Alfilo over Daniel Barrez by submission. Not too many thoughts around that. But for Filho, I mean, he gets the first win of his UFC career. He was very solid as well uh, up against somebody the caliber of Mohamed Mokayev. So now for Filho, he's got that first win interested to see where he goes from here now also uh, for some of these decisions i just didn't watch i mainly checked out finishes so brinda brazil uh, defeats shauna bannon the irish fighter a pretty comprehensive victory unanimous decision i didn't watch it so not too many thoughts on that i thought you know what i'm not that interested next up a fight i did watch a little bit of chris duncan against yanel ashmos uh, Chris Duncan getting it done by decision. 
very dominant display. Uh, seemed like Yanel Ashmus was working with some kind of hand injury. And Chris Duncan, who more known for his knockouts, well, he was in control uh, pretty much the entire fight. So big win for the lightweight Chris Duncan. I believe he trains at American Top Team. So working alongside guys like Dustin Poirier. Now the Scotsman, he's someone I think you should keep an eye on in 155. So Chris Duncan gets the win there. And I am eager to see what's next for him. Ketlin Vieira over Penny Kianzad by decision. Did I watch it? No. Uh, 29-28s across the board. And Ketlin Vieira, that's a big win for her when you consider Amanda Nunes uh, no longer with the UFC. And you look at that woman's bantamweight division, and it's a division that's crying out for a few contenders. So Ketlin Vieira reestablishes herself right back in the mix with a unanimous decision win. Then Mahmoud Muradov beats Brian Barbarena 30-27, unanimous decision across the board. Didn't watch that one, but did have a check on Google before it decided to fuck me over. Uh, apparently 13 takedowns by Muradov. So that actually made me want to go and watch. I was like, oh wow, kind of want to see how he managed 13 takedowns. Uh, but for Muradov, big win in the middleweight division over Brian Bam Bam Barbarena. Interested to see what's next for Muradov. Then my man, Mick Parkin. Couldn't believe he was the underdog heading into this one. He gets a 30-27 unanimous decision victory over Jamal Pogues, uh, who one of many heavyweights who just seemingly, in a respectful way, I say this, just kind of filling the quota of how many heavyweights they need. Heavyweight division's weird, because there are only so many guys that are athletic, but also that big. Whereas a lot of them are big, but they're not super athletic. And again, I say that respectfully. They're more athletic than I am. If I said that to their face, they'll fucking knock me out. But just calling it as I see it. So Mick Parkin, unanimous decision win. And look, I've been keeping tabs on Parkin since his finish on Contender Series, uh, where he earned that contract, has some very game training partners as well in Tom Aspinall and Phil DeFries, current KSW heavyweight champion. So Mick Parkin, here's a guy that I think might just be able to kind of separate himself from the lower kind of heavyweights of the division, Jamal Pogues included in that. So Mick Parkin, let's wait and see. Uh, but I do believe bright future for the Englishman. Then a fight I did watch. Joel Alvarez, second round Das Choke submission of Mark Chikese. Now, there was a headbutt in there at some point throughout the fight, which did change the momentum. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Joel Alvarez, I mean, this guy is a fight finisher. And as far as the lightweight division, Joel Alvarez, he's a serious relevant prospect. So I'm keen to see uh, where he goes from here. And look, Chikese got submitted. I know he copped the headbutt, but one thing I think about is, look, if I walk out on the street right now, which I'm not intending to, and get in a fight, if I'm throwing down with someone on the street in a fight, no referee, no sanctions, no rules, and if we're throwing hands and I kind of accidentally lean in, headbutt him, and it knocks them down or knocks them out, in a real life fight, it's fair game. 
So obviously it's not in the UFC, but an accidental headbutt, I don't think is the most egregious thing. It's just a result of two guys who were literally in the midst of a fight. So I really don't think that that was that much of a turning point. It definitely had a bearing on the result, but in the end, Joel Alvarez, I feel like he would have found a way to win regardless. And more often than not, it's by submission. He's a fight finisher. Mark Jacasey, when you look at his recent history, hasn't exactly set the world on fire. So Joel Alvarez now, big win for him because Mark Jacasey, an English fighter, also a recognizable name, nice one for Joel Alvarez to add to the resume in the second submission of the night, which then led us into the first knockout slash technical knockout of the night, Johnny Parsons. Johnny Parsons comes from nowhere, arrives in England, knocks out Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. So beats the hometown fighter. And for Johnny Parsons, to be honest, when I did my research for this card, Parsons, the one I probably did the least due diligence on, gets a finish on debut. Interested to see, like I've said a few times, uh, where Mr. Parsons goes from here. So all in all, preliminary card, it was decent. I didn't watch it live and I did skip a fair few of the fights. So probably not in the best place to comment on that, but we do have six or seven, seven by my count, main card fights. So now what I'm going to do is go fight by fight and give some proper reactions. I haven't watched these fights yet, so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start off now, of course, headlined this card by the return of Tom Aspinall up against Marcin Taibura. You have Meatball Molly in the co-main event against Julia Stolyarenko. The prospect Nathaniel Wood and Andre Feely. The 185 debut of Paul Craig. So there's a bit to get into here. And I'm excited to do just that. And let's start off with Daniel Marcos up against Davy Grant. Now my decision, my decision, my, uh, my call going into this one or prediction was Daniel Marcos to win by decision. That is what's happened here. Uh, and by my count, that takes Daniel Marcos to 15 and 0 on his professional record. But the other thing I see here is that it's a split decision. So that tells me this was a close fight. Uh, what I'm going to do is sit down now and watch it. And given it's split decision, for a bit of fun, I'll tell you how I scored it from my couch sitting on my ass. But yeah, sometimes I feel like, you know, even if I'm on the couch, even if I'm fucking stoned, I feel like sometimes I can almost judge a fight better than the actual judges, which isn't saying much. The judging in MMA, there's still a lot about the UFC that just feels very amateur level. And at times as well, to be honest, I feel like the UFC a little bit cheap. They take the cheap route where their production could be that little bit better. I don't know. It's not, I mean, Dana White being cheap, what? Uh, but we're going to launch in to this London crowd. But yeah, the judging, I know refereeing and things like that in a lot of sports can be an issue. Uh, but the MMA judging is actually a farce. Like it is so amateur. When you consider that the UFC is the worldwide leader in mixed martial arts, like it just shouldn't be happening. Especially when you consider bad judging is costing guys and girls their livelihoods. 
lot of these fighters have families. They're literally busting their ass to get paid. And if you lose, fuck, you do not get paid much. I'll tell you that much. UFC, look, fighter pay, it's always a debate. But look, when you look at how much Dana White's bringing in and how much the UFC is bringing in and then how much the fighters get, it's not great reading. I mean, we saw, what was his name? Themba Garimbo only like a month ago posted his bank account just before he got his first UFC win. $7. Jeff Neal, wasn't he waiting tables when he was a ranked welterweight? Like a lot of these guys and girls have other jobs, which is fucking insane. So yeah, the UFC pay, that's like another discussion for another day. But bad judging, like these people don't get paid much as it is. And then a bad judging call can literally fuck their entire livelihood. One, they go without a lot of their purse, losing a ton of money through judging incompetence. And two, you lose two or three fights in the UFC and you get cut. So like, it's career on the line stuff. It's their livelihood. Yeah, who knows with the judges? That, that's kind of my thought. So split decision, let's see. In my humble opinion, doesn't mean it's right, uh, whether the judges have got this one correct. Gonna sit down now and watch the surging prospect Daniel Marcos over the hometown hero, Davey Grant. Be back in a moment with my thoughts and comments. Alrighty, so that one is done and dusted. To be honest, I, I didn't end up scoring that one. I just wanted to watch it. <laughs> so... Yeah, a bit of a weird one. First round, uh, there was there were no like substantial moments in the round. Now, David Grant, probably the more active fighter. And I think that was the round uh, where two of the judges had Marcos winning. So, yeah, the first round, David Grant, you could assume won that. No, no strikes of significance from either party landed, though. Then in the second round... Uh, a shot from Marcos busted Davy Grant open. So I think in terms of damage and the visual, well, Davy Grant had blood all over his face. Uh, so I can see the judges giving that one to Daniel Marcos. So the way I was kind of looking at it, fight is in the balance uh, in the third and final round. And yeah, close fight. Davy Grant actually had more significant strikes. So yeah, those who are arguing that Davy Grant should have won, I can most definitely, after watching that fight, see the argument. Uh, but for Daniel Marcos, a win's a win. He stays undefeated. He now pushes himself to 15-0. and 0, And I think this is just a great example. Never leave it to the judges. They don't, like I just fucking just said, they don't really even know what they're doing. Somehow the judging in MMA is still at such an amateur level. So don't leave it to the judges. If you do... Things like this, more often than not, happen. So look, let me just focus on the winner. History books will show Daniel Marcos still undefeated, 15-0. and 0. And when you consider the caliber of David, uh, dangerous David Grant, that's a massive win. David Grant around that top 15 kind of area. I don't believe that he was ranked. I might have a quick look at that. Uh, but with that win, Daniel Marcos, in only his second showing uh, under the UFC banner, now positions himself 
had to be fighting top 15 opposition. So yeah, just having a look, David Grant not in the top 15. Jonathan Martinez, 15th. I honestly reckon it would be pretty rude to bump him out after his last win. Chris Gutierrez, he's coming off a loss. Adrian Yanez, he's coming off a loss. Ricky Simone, he's coming off a loss. Maybe one of those guys next up for Daniel Marcos. But all I know is that when you get a win over someone like David Grant, the only way to go is up. David Grant, considering where he was positioned, just outside, floating around the top 15, Daniel Marcos. He has set himself up beautifully as the South American uh, to now push on to higher honours. Uh, so great effort from Daniel Marcos, who now 2-0 in the UFC. Of course, a second round knockout of Simon Oliveira on debut, but with a significant step up in competition here, also being the away fighter in London against the Englishman, David Grant. Massive win for Daniel Marcos. Now, in the fans' eyes, whether he won or not, not really relevant, uh, because when you look in the history books, it is marked down as a win. So still yet to be defeated, uh, but this definitely the closest call of Daniel's young career. And now the 30-year-old, I'm interested to see how he responds, because I'm sure uh, when they were reading the results of the judges' scorecards, there had to be a few thoughts going through his mind, like, fuck, I've lost this. And for just even an inkling, he may have had to process that emotion of his first loss. So that is dangerous, because now Marcos, he's come that close to losing, he is not going to want to leave it to the judges next time out. So massive win for Daniel Marcos. Uh, we now move on to the next fight. The Aussie, Josh Kulabau, who I was rooting for in this one, up against Lerone Murphy, who in the featherweight division is a real genuine prospect, who, if you look at his trajectory, seemingly slowly but surely building toward an eventual title shot or at the very least, being one of the top contenders in the division. So now I'm going to sit down and watch Lerone Murphy up against Josh Coolabau. As I can see in front of me, a pretty dominant decision win for Lerone Murphy. But I'm going to sit down, watch it, and I'll be back in a moment with my thoughts and comments. Lerone Murphy, Josh Coolabau, let's get amongst it. Another one bites the dust. Lerone Murphy, pretty comprehensive decision over Josh Coolabau, who in that third round seemed to be suffering from some kind of injury. So very unfortunate uh, for Josh Coolabau. Obviously, as an Aussie fighter, he was someone that I was rooting for. I did hesitantly pick Lerone Murphy because uh, Lerone, I think he proved it here. He's just a very classy fighter. And Koolabau, to his credit, he was competitive despite uh, a very one-sided scorecard. He made Lerone Murphy earn every position uh, and earn every little bit of momentum. Uh, so for Lerone Murphy, I can't speak English, fucking hell. Uh, for Lerone Murphy, that's a huge win. Uh, obviously, he's coming back from a pretty horrific car crash. There were times where Lerone Murphy... Looked like he was never going to come back. Then he gets the win over Gabriel Santos last time out. 
uh, a fight and decision that many people thought should have gone the other way. So here, Lerone Murphy, he comes back, he gets a very decisive victory over someone like Josh Koulibau, uh, who finished emphatically Melsic Bagdasarian in Perth earlier this year. Uh, so this was a real matchup where the winner uh, could progress toward the top 15. And Lerone Murphy, look, this guy has top 15 written all over him. Let me just quickly check if he's in there. Because uh, I feel like at one point Lerone Murphy was ranked, but then of course the car crash, all that kind of stuff, uh, might have changed things. So I'm just going to have a quick look. Uh, but with that victory, Lerone Murphy really cements himself as a contender to watch within this division. Just having a look, and he's not ranked. So that may very well change over the next week or so. But Lerone Murphy, pretty clear-cut victory uh, for Josh Coolabaugh. Hopefully that injury, not too severe, probably means we won't see him on the Sydney card. Uh, but health, first and foremost, hopefully uh, Josh Coolabout is all good and not going to have to spend an extended time on the sidelines. But this fight in London, it belonged to the Manchester fighter in Lerone Murphy. And look, I think if he can get back in there before the end of the year, Lerone Murphy is on track, not just to break into the rankings, but to really make a run of significance. This is a fighter, despite being unranked, who could potentially go all the way to challenge for the title. So Lerone Murphy, massive win for him. I think it's safe to say, most likely, top 15 opponent next. Although maybe they go for a matchup that was supposed to happen last time the UFC was in London. Uh, Lerone Murphy and Nathaniel Wood, two English featherweights, both whom picked up wins on this card. And I'll get to Nathaniel shortly. But potentially they get matched up. I think if you're going to do that, it should be in England, given they're both English fighters. Otherwise, keep them away from each other. I think both Nathaniel Wood and Lerone Murphy are at the point now where they're probably deserving of a crack at the top 15. So Lerone Murphy gets it done over Josh Coolabau. That leads us into our next fight. Jai, the black country banger Herbert. An English fighter, so going to have the home crowd support here, up against the Frenchman, Fares Ziam, who we last saw in Paris picking up a win. This fight, as far as the landscape of the lightweight division, I'm like, eh, I think this is more like, look, to be fair, in my opinion, the majority of the last England slash London fight night uh, so the, when it was headlined by Aspinall Blades, not the pay-per-view earlier this year. Uh, but that last fight night, coming off the back of one of the best fight nights when the UFC returned to London, that second one was fucking bang average. I remember I was at a friend's house. We'd been partying. We stayed up through to the early a.m. And I ended up going home. Like, I was like, let's chuck on UFC. And there were just that many boring decisions where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go home. So I remember the last card being pretty average. Now, Meatball Molly came out and absolutely destroyed Hannah Goldie. That was when things uh, kind of started turning. But even the main event was over before it even began. Uh, so I found that looking across this card, I think the UFC kind of set it up to say, look, regardless of who wins, the main things, we want some UK talent. And we just want some fun fucking fights after last time. So Jai Herbert, Fares Diam, 
neither of these guys, in my opinion, are going to be top 15 fighters, so I don't think it holds a ton of relevancy uh, to the 155-pound division. But nonetheless, I think why this was put on the main card was to be a fun fight. Jai Herbert, his style very fan-friendly, whilst Fares Ziam loves to strike. Uh, so I know we get the full 15 minutes here. Fares Ziam ends up getting the win. Not sure how, though. Uh, so I'm going to tune into that. And one other kind of note, or uh, what's the word, perception that I have, is that a lot of these Cage Warriors guys look like superstars coming into the UFC. I feel like, I don't know if overrated is the right word. I, honestly, I don't think it is. It is the premier uh, United Kingdom mixed martial arts organization. But I just feel like a lot of these guys who look like killers in Cage Warriors, when it comes to UFC and the best of the best, a lot of them, it's, yeah, I don't know. Jai Herbert, a bit of an example here, who looked like an absolute superstar in Cage Warriors, but at UFC level, not so much. Still puts on some fun fights, and it is disrespectful uh, for me, sitting on my ass, to, you know, say things like this, but it's just a perception. I'm not saying this just about Jai Herbert. There have been a few other ones. Christian Leroy Duncan looked like a stud in Cage Warriors. Not so much UFC. That's something I've, it's just something I've noticed. Even Paddy Pimblett, uh, one of the biggest signings they've had from Cage Warriors in recent memory. Fucking look at that fight with Jared Gordon. Like, that's not the Paddy Pimblett we were seeing at Cage Warriors level. So I feel like it's definitely a clear path to the UFC. But yeah, I feel like some of these Cage Warriors guys coming in it looks like they're a bit more of a prospect than they actually end up being, is the best way I can put it. Uh, and I kind of found this a perfect example. Jai Herbert, uh, a former Cage Warriors champion, up against Fares Ziam, who by no means is the best in the division. So it was a good test for both these guys. The winner gets to move forward, and they do get to work toward the top 15, and do get to work towards superstar status. Whilst for the loser, in this case, Jai Herbert. Well, we'll have to see what's next, but I'm going to sit down and watch the fight now. Jai Herbert, the rest of the arm, back in a moment with my thoughts and comments. Okay, we've reached the conclusion of that fight. Faris Ziam, youngest fighter on the card, 26 years old, 229 28s, and a 30-27 scorecard. He's only 26. Uh, so what I mentioned earlier in terms of I don't really see the top 15 in either of these guys' future, Ziam is only 26, so that is worth mentioning. He's now got back-to-back -back victories, had the win in, uh, not Perth, fucking hell, Paris. I mean, Perth, Paris, pretty much the same place. Uh, but Faris Ziam, on the back of that win, he's actually racking up a bit of momentum. For Jai Herbert, he had Leon Edwards in the corner, uh, wasn't to be, not sure where Jai Herbert goes from here. I'm always going to tune in and watch him fight, because he does put on a show more often than not. Uh, but Jai Herbert, big spotlight, and again, another loss in London. The fight itself, eh, take it or leave it. Like, not a lot that I was like, I want to talk about this. 
So let's just get to the result. Ferris Ziam with the decision win. And on a positive note, for Ferris, he now finds himself in a position where he can work toward the top 15. 26 years of age, has experience under his belt, uh, but accruing more experience with each passing fight. Ferris Ziam will have to see uh, whether he can turn this into a bit of a run. Now, Paris in September, probably too much of a short turnaround, considering you'd have to go through a fight camp, probably took a bit of damage in this fight. Uh, but Farris Siam, if he's fit and ready to go, it would make a lot of sense to put the Frenchman on the Paris card. And then if he can get a win there, three straight, not a bad position. So Farris Ziam, having quite the year, or the last calendar year, and he gets the win. Like I said, the fight itself, eh. And that's, I don't know, no disrespect. Those guys, they put their lives on the line. Like, that's a fact. You step into the cage, your life's on the line. Like, especially from bottom position with, like, ground and pound and things like that. Couple of just extra shots is all it takes to really fuck your entire life up. And I think that's something that does get lost sometimes uh, when fans watch. And, like, fighters come out and they say, I'm prepared to die in there. And that's not a throwaway line. This is a sport where you do have to be prepared that the worst case scenario could happen. So the fight, eh, but they put their lives on the line. So fucking credit to both of those guys stepping in there in front of a huge crowd, laying it all on the line. Pharisee He's the winner. Let's see whether he can turn this into a bit of a run. Uh, but I'm now going to move on. We've got four fights left. And when I was looking at the card, these are the four fights uh, that I really wanted to see. So we've got through all the other stuff. Now it's time to jump in to the middleweight debut and a successful one at that of Paul Bearju Craig, who we've seen on the last couple of London cards. A pretty, pretty shocking result last time against Johnny Walker. Got pummeled. Uh, but Paul Craig came out of that fight essentially just like, I just fought a heavyweight guy. Like, Johnny Walker ain't a light heavyweight. He weighs in at light heavyweight, but when he walks in that cage, he's not a light heavyweight. Uh, so it really seemed like Paul Craig, it kind of dawned on him that, fuck, everyone's doing it. They're cutting an insane amount of weight to try and have an edge. And for Paul Craig, it wasn't so much to go down to middleweight to have an edge, more so that the guys he's fighting at light heavyweight are essentially heavyweights. So, I mean, that's a big disadvantage straight off the bat. Paul Craig in the lead up to this fight against Andre Muniz, very talented prospect, unbelievable submission magician, much like Paul Craig himself. And it was the slim, the slender Paul Craig uh, who in the lead up, I was watching some interviews. I believe it was called TNT, TNT Sports or something. Uh, they were English guys. Actually, fucking really good. They did a series of main card interviews. Talked to Tom Aspinall, uh, Marcin Tybura, Molly McCann. Uh, trying to think who else. Paul Craig, who said, I want to get my first knockout here. I want to get a knockout, which he does. So I'm going to sit down and watch that in a second. But yeah. TNT, I believe it was called, uh, in my preparation for the card, watched a few interviews and really, really good content. 
I don't know the name of the guys. Are there a couple of different guys conducting the interviews? I just thought really well thought out questions. And they weren't just your stock standard, like media classic questions. I thought they went a little bit deeper with each of the questions and got some really phenomenal answers. Tom Aspinall was very open in his interview. I got some great chat from Lerone Murphy, Nathaniel Wood, Paul Craig. So shout out to TNT. I, I want to try and keep up with a bit more of their content. I just thought those interviews phenomenal. But now we're going to jump into it. The 185 debut of Paul Craig, who afterwards as well, I've seen one of the names on Mr. Paul Craig's lips, Bo Nickel, which would be a very interesting fight. So Paul Craig, successful middleweight debut, and I will talk about Andre Muniz as well, who at one point seemed to have all the tools to be a major problem in this division, but over his last two or three fights, Muniz has fallen off a cliff. He's gone from top prospect to fighting to even stay in the rankings. In fact, losing to Paul Craig here might actually bounce him out of the top 15. Shocking to me, I had Andre Muniz a few fights ago as a real problem. I mean, you look at the Adesanya Pereira, their first UFC matchup, and the grappling, and then how all of a sudden, once Pereira was the champ, a huge talking point uh, was grappling, and these guys in the middleweight division who could outgrapple uh, not just Pereira, but Adesanya. And at the top of that list, I had Andre Muniz. I thought when the division was crying out for a grappler and a submission artist to really announce themselves, Andre Muniz, in my mind, was that guy. So to see how he's fared over his last three fights, pretty concerning. I do wonder whether this is the end of his run. I'm not in the UFC, but more so... Uh, toward a title shot. We'll have to wait and see, but I'm going to tune into the fight now. Paul Craig against Andre Muniz. Hey ho, let's go. The Scotsman, Paul Craig. Uh, that brings Scotland to a perfect 2-0 on this card. Firstly, Chris Duncan, now Paul Craig. Maybe a Scottish fight night, not too far away. Uh, but Paul Craig, I mean, that fight belonged to him. In the second round, there was a point where Muniz was on top and there was a bit of a headbutt situation. Just looking now, there is a nasty bump, a lump on the head of Andre Muniz as well. Uh, but Muniz headbutts Paul Craig while they're on the ground. Referee stands them up. Uh, not too much longer after that, they end up back on the ground. Uh, Muniz does go for a bit of a submission. But Paul Craig, this is a guy on the mat who's seen just about every situation. And he's one of those fighters, which there aren't many of them. When they're on the bottom, it's actually when they're at their best. Uh, so Paul Craig ends up getting top position, ground and pound. Referee gave Andre Muniz plenty of time to defend himself. Uh, but some really, really nasty shots, uh, particularly with the elbow. The really sharp point of the elbow just digging in to the head of Andre Muniz. And respect to Andre Muniz as well. Shook Paul Craig's hand, handled the loss like a champ, after what was a very intense stare down. As Bruce Buffer uh, was announcing the fighters, they were fucking nose to nose, hectic eye contact. And it was about that point where I thought, you know what? 
I'm hella keen for this fight. Uh, so Paul Craig, he gets that knockout that he was after. And considering that he's an older fighter, look, sometimes when these older guys move up or down a weight class, it's kind of just they're looking for some kind of answer as they get close to making their way out. I mean, the last one I can think of, Misha Serkinov tried to have a run at middleweight, didn't work, went back up to light heavyweight, uh, got floored by Alonzo Menafield. So, yeah, I wasn't too sure for Paul Craig. I thought maybe if he loses here, he actually might take the gloves off. But it's gone totally the other way. Paul Craig announcing himself. And given Muniz was sitting 15th in the division, uh, whilst Paul Craig was ranked at 205 pounds, I think that's going to see the Bear Jew move in to the top 15. So, look, Bo Nickel, one of the names he mentioned up at middleweight. Look, I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, ever since that scenario where there was no next logical challenger for Israel Adesanya, the theme has been that middleweight, they're looking for superstars. They're looking for contenders and heaps of them starting to emerge. Kayo Baralho, he's one of them. Oleskarov, another. You've got Paolo Costa and Kamzat Chemaev just around the corner. Guys like Brendan Allen. And of course, Drakus Duplessis has cemented himself as the next title challenger, although he might not be ready. So Sean Strickland going to step up. Of course, Abus Magomedov, an unranked fighter with only seconds of his UFC career, was given a main event spotlight against Strickland. So the middleweight division right now, I've said it before, by the time we are rolling into 2024, I reckon there are going to be a stack of fresh contenders for the champion. So for Paul Craig to get the win here, look, I've said it before, Andre Muniz, I thought he had the perfect skill set to be the one to capitalize on the lack of really quality grapplers within this division. Muniz, that's now back-to-back losses, got submitted by Brandon Allen, got finished here by Paul Craig. He's going to bounce out of the rankings. Now, Muniz is such a talent that I'm not going to write him off just yet. But look, mixed martial arts, it is a short shelf life, one of the cruelest games in the world that you can be a part of. So for Muniz, it felt like if you're going to strike while the iron's hot, it felt like, you know, the last couple of fights was when he was going to really make his run. So it's a massive setback, a lot of adversity now for Andre Muniz to have to overcome. But this is how champions are made. We'll see whether he's made of the right stuff in his next matchup. But the 35-year-old, Paul Craig. And when you consider what I just spoke about, Muniz, his submission ability, his high-level grappling, that can be a problem for a lot of fighters in this division. Now you have Paul Craig, who, against Muniz here, he looked big. He looked like a big boy. Definitely had the size advantage, which he didn't always have at light heavyweight. Paul Craig, he's just showing that he can knock people out in this division. I have no doubt he can get the submissions, and his ground game is strong as anybody at 185 pounds. So Paul Craig, new division, can he make a run? Well, he's going to be ranked, I believe, uh, when the rankings update at some stage through this week. So massive win. Andre Muniz now on a two-fight slide. Paul Craig, he's just announced himself to the middleweight division. Who does he fight next? Bo Nickel, he did mention. I wonder whether they give him an unranked fighter 
uh, who's right there in terms of pushing into the rankings, or whether they match Paul Craig up against someone who's already in the top 15. So very interesting times, uh, but in front of a really hot crowd, the Scotsman gets it done. Paul Craig, congratulations to him. In the interviews I watched as well, fuck, looks good. Looks really good. Now, it didn't look so good on the scales uh, weighing in for this fight, and that was the big question mark. Was it going to be too much of a cut for Paul Craig? Apparently not. He looked superb in this fight. Middleweight division looks like it's going to be his permanent home from this point onward. And given his age, well, the run toward the title, it has to start now. So Paul Craig, he's got that one win, uh, but he can't afford a loss. Who's he got next up? Can't wait to see. But again, congratulations to Paul Craig. Massive gamble to drop down a weight class. He was ranked at light heavyweight. The easier thing to do would be to stick around there. But he's clearly worked his ass off. Like to cut down to 186 pounds for such a big fella had to work his ass off. Changes to his diet, changes to his workout regime. He's put in all the steps to make it a successful transition. And that is exactly what it was. Paul Craig with a second round technical knockout over Andre Muniz. And that leads us into the final three matchups. Interesting co-main event. Definitely not one that is, you know, winner fights for a title. Uh, but a fun co-main event that gets set up uh, with a very quick finish, mind you. And a very quick finish in the main event. Uh, so I'm keen to get into those. But before we do, a featherweight contest. Nathaniel the Prospect Wood, an English fighter. In fact, I believe he's from London. Up against... An opponent in Andre Feely. Always dangerous, always entertaining to watch. Uh, and I did see Andre Feely had some comments on Instagram after the fight. Wasn't happy with the judging. There you go. The judges getting amongst it once again. But I thought, well, I'm going to sit down, watch this fight. Were there any egregious calls made? Should Andre Feely have won the fight? All I know at this stage is that Nathaniel Wood had his hand raised. And I tell you what, Nathaniel Wood, much like his fellow countryman in Lerone Murphy, this is a guy at 145 pounds to keep close tabs on. So I'm going to sit down now, watch one of the marquee fights of the night. Nathaniel Wood, Andre Feely, 15 minutes of action. We know that Nathaniel Wood gets his hand raised. I'm keen to see whether that was the right call. Okay, just finished the featherweight contest. I did go back as well and check Andre Feely's Instagram. Uh, I won't repeat the whole thing. At one stage, he threw the term colonizers in there, uh, which, fuck, whatever. Like, if we're offended by him saying that, uh, probably should be more offended by the actual kind of inspiration of the line. But yeah, colonizers... I thought that was a bit harsh from him. Like he said, I was just joking in the comments and like, whatever. I, I literally couldn't give a shit. I live in Australia and I'm pretty aware of colonization and how badly they did fuck over people. So yeah, that's a conversation for another fucking day. Uh, but Andre Feely essentially said, I thought I won that fight. Judges didn't. That was kind of the basis of his message. So nothing too intense. Not like I was fucking robbed. 
uh, or anything like that. But then I go and watch the fight. Round one definitely goes to Nathaniel Wood. He dropped and nearly finished Feely. Round two very clearly went to Andre Feely, returned the favor, dropped Nathaniel Wood, almost finished him. Uh, So it was all up for grabs in the third round. And I know judges don't have the striking numbers, uh, but Nathaniel Wood produced nearly triple the amount of strikes in round three when the fight was on the line. Now, Andre Feely was the one in the cage. He was fighting. uh, So he would have had a very different perspective and view to that of us fans who watched it on TV. With the numbers there, I don't think there's any argument Nathaniel Wood won that fight. I can understand most definitely Andre Feely where he's coming from. That third round was pretty close. Uh, No hugely substantial shots, but I still thought very clearly 29-28 Nathaniel Wood. Simple as that. So he gets the win. I believe it was the right call. Andre Feely, close fight. Hell of a fight as well. That was actually my fight of the night, uh, which is going to be posted over on the Instagram. I'll be doing performance highlights from this card. So fight of the night, performances of the night, talking point, uh, top prospect, a couple of other things as well. And just in the interests of keeping this podcast to around an hour, I'm not going to include the performance highlights on here. Although there you go, there's the fight of the night. Andre Feely, Nathaniel Wood. Uh, But if you want to see all of those performance highlights, they will be over on our Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report. But what does this win mean for Nathaniel Wood, who very much believes he's top 15 quality, and I believe the same? Would be interesting if they go down the route of Lerone Murphy versus Nathaniel Wood. Uh, But just feels like, you know, there are going to be a few more English cards next year. Why not try and put them up against someone else? And then maybe, if they keep their winning ways up, match them up together in England. I think would make the most sense. If you're going to have English fighter versus English fighter, may as well do it in England. Uh, but Lerone Murphy, not the only one at 145 pounds representing England and doing a phenomenal job. Nathaniel Wood very clearly in my mind, won that fight. That makes it three from three since moving up to featherweight, uh, a change which was badly needed. He was just, he was cutting far too much weight uh, to make bantamweight. Still looked good there, but I don't think there's any question that Nathaniel Wood's natural weight class is featherweight. So he's three from three now. I believe that surely is enough to warrant a top 15 matchup next. If not, then maybe the Lerone Murphy one is the direction that they go in. But one thing's for sure. One, Nathaniel definitely won that fight. And two, well, he sets himself up very nicely uh, for the 2024 campaign. I wonder if he'll be able to get another fight in. Uh, If he does want to push toward the rankings, then it's probably in his best interest to get another fight done uh, in the back half of this year. But for Nathaniel Wood, three wins at featherweight, He's doing everything that's expected of him, everything you could ask. Now, he's not getting the finishes, uh, so it must be said that is going to slow his role a little bit, just naturally, given the way that the UFC operates. If you're finishing fights, you're skipping the line, or you're moving at a more rapid pace. But for Nathaniel Wood, that's not so much his style. He does possess great knockout power, which we saw when he rocked Andre Feely in the first round. 
but he's shown that he can be patient, he can follow a game plan, he has the cardio to last the full 15 minutes. Nathaniel Wood, three straight wins at featherweight, one to keep an eye on, no doubt, which I already believed before this card, guys like Lerone Murphy, Nathaniel Wood, which I picked them both to win. Uh, I believe both of them have a serious future, and both of them have top 15 written all over them. So there you go, two English featherweights uh, that I know personally I'll be watching very closely for the rest of this year. But that now leads us to the co-main event, Meatball Molly, whose star is brighter than ever, huge star, and to her credit, the past two London cards she has appeared on, she's stolen the show. So Mo- Molly McCann, M- 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 Molly McCann, I can't speak fucking English. Molly McCann, Meatball Molly, against Julia Stolyarenko. How she got in the co-main event, I have no fucking idea. This literally just down to star power. The fact that Meatball Molly is a big name in England. Because I tell you what, I mean, Molly was coming off being dominated by Aaron Blanchfield. Which, to be honest, nothing to be ashamed of. Aaron Blanchfield is next level. But Julia Stolyarenko, and look, Stolyarenko wins here, and in epic fashion. So good on her, biggest win of her career. Uh, but I just want to pull up Julia Stolyarenko's run into this fight. Because, yeah, how the fuck was this the co-main event? Respectfully, of course, I know how it was the co-main event. Meatball Molly's how. Uh, but Stolyarenko, going into this fight, had lost four of her past five. She was coming off a knockout loss against Chelsea Chandler, who just lost in her last outing. And the only win in her five fights leading up to this was a submission armbar over Jessica Rose uh, Clark. Join the club, for fuck's sake. Respect to Jessica Rose Clark. Love Jessica Rose Clark. That wasn't meant to be disrespectful, but yeah, join the fucking club. Everyone was armbar submissioning her. So... Stolyarenko, 11 wins on her pro record, 7 losses and 2 draws, so not the best pro record. Uh, But the 11th win, 10th submission of her career, so 10 of 11 wins by submission. It was her flyweight debut uh, in this contest. Julia Stolyarenko, the Lithuanian, up against Molly McCann. I know one thing about this fight, Stolyarenko gets it done, and gets it done quickly. Again... Like, this was just co-main event because Meatball Molly has star power and name value. Stolyarenko, on a card like this, and I mean this very respectfully, shouldn't have been anywhere near the co-main event. But she achieves a submission in under two minutes, so fuck. She's been put in the spotlight position. Stolyarenko did everything right. So whilst I'm critical of that being the co-main event... Fucking good on her. Huge spotlight against Molly McCann, who had been starching opponents in London. Like, seriously, rolling through her competition. Now, Molly McCann, as well, had been rolled by Aaron Blanchfield, but Blanchfield stole Arenko. There is a serious gap in terms of strength of opposition there. So for Meatball Molly, this was kind of set up, in my opinion, for a big knockout victory. While Stolyarenko, it was pretty clear she was going to win by submission. I know that Stolyarenko wins. Let's, let's tune in and watch this curious co-main event pick. Uh, I went with Meatball Molly by knockout, so I was wrong. 
But yeah, just a weird one. Because it's like co-main event, but then it's like, where are we going to see Stoliarenko next? She ain't moving up the card. She's not going to be main eventing. I doubt she'll be in the co-main event next. Unless it's in the apex. But fuck, would you listen to me? I am being an A-grade hater right now. Fucking good on these ladies. Good on them for getting the co-main event spotlight. And fucking good on Julia Stoliarenko for achieving the biggest win of her career. So I'm going to park my hater energy and I'm going to come into this one with an open mind. And hell, at least I know this fight delivers. Delivers entertainment, we get a finish. Uh, Keen to see Meatball Molly's walkout as well and just the general crowd atmosphere. But now, nothing else to do but get amongst it. I'm going to launch into the co-main event and be back in a moment. And when I say a moment, I mean a moment. This one ends in under two minutes, as does the main event. Uh, So short and sharp to finish us off, let's get into it. Meatball Molly up against Julia Stoliarenko. Jeepers fucking creepers. That was unbelievable. I must say, Stoliarenko, that was one hell of a moment on this card. Stoliarenko, flyweight debut. She made that look easy. Which I'll tell you right now, Molly McCann is by no means the best in the flyweight division. But she's a hell of a fighter. She is one hell of a fighter, and she has proven that time and time again. Stoliarenko made it look easy. Easier than Erin Blanchfield made it look. And Blanchfield, in my mind, if she stays at 125, she's got future champ written all over her. So massive win for Stoliarenko on a pretty poor run of form over her last five or so fights. Moves down to flyweight, where she has a great frame for it. Uh, She looked a lot bigger than Molly McCann in this fight. More reach, more height. And that was comprehensive. That was in under two minutes. Molly McCann barely fired a shot. Stoliarenko gets it down to the ground. Transitions into an armbar. Same armbar that she finished Jessica Rose Clark with. Molly McCann taps. Stoliarenko holds the armbar. Probably broke Molly McCann's arm there. And look, that's ruthless. But the rules are you don't let go until the referee actually pulls you off. And in Stoliarenko's defense, we've seen situations like Mara Bueno Silva and Stephanie Egger and uh, Dan Agueda and Ronnie Lawrence where a fighter lets go of the submission a little bit too early and then there's confusion around the result. So Stoliarenko not doing anything uncouth by holding on to that submission, but fuck, Meatball Molly looked to be in some pain. And I heard Jessica Rose Clark talk about it as well. She said the same thing. Stoliarenko held on to that arm for maybe longer than she should have, and it really fucked up the arm of Jessica Rose Clark. So Meatball Molly, she might be on the sideline for a little bit there. But credit to Stoliarenko, credit where credit is due. She's the away fighter, in England up against one of the most popular fighters on the card and she silenced that London crowd in under two minutes mind you brutal armbar submission gets the tap and I'll give her that it was one hell of a moment to see that you know the English fans at the very least 
if Molly was going to lose, thought they might get more of a fight out of that. That was as comprehensive as it comes. Julia Stoliarenko, and not for the first time either, wrapping up a very quick submission. So with that, Meatball Molly, like I said, she looked in a lot of pain. I would be surprised if she doesn't have a broken arm and some serious rehab to go through. So best wishes to Meatball Molly. One hell of a fighter, so entertaining. I'll always tune in to watch her fight. And I, I vividly remember uh, last year's fight night, one I spoke about a bit earlier, that was just so fucking boring that I went home. Uh, I remember the one point of that card that I was like, fuck yeah, at least someone is bringing the goods. It was Meatball Molly. And I'll always remember that. I'm like, when the show needed someone to step up and deliver, Meatball Molly, she did it. More than once too. So that's why she found herself in this co-main event spotlight. But yeah, absolutely steamrolled by Julia Stoliarenko. Now, as for what's next for Stoliarenko, not quite sure, to be honest. I think women's flyweight, it's probably the most stacked women's division. In fact, it's actually one of my favorite divisions, men or women, in the UFC right now. Names like Talia Santos, Aaron Blanchfield, the champion, Alexa Grasso, former champion, Valentina Shevchenko, King Casey O'Neill, who's just had a matchup for Sydney announced. Women's flyweight is stacked. So Julia Stoliarenko, to be honest, she's going to have to do more than just one comprehensive submission over Meatball Molly. Great place to start. Great place to start. But yeah, ultimately, like I said, it was a bit of a curious co-main event. Stoliarenko, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe this move to flyweight is exactly the boost that her career needs. And we could be about to see a real contender emerge from out of nowhere. But right now, as I have it, I mean, Stoliarenko, 10 out of 10 in this fight. Great performance, great finish. The key is going to be consistency. What I'd now like to see is for Stoliarenko to parlay this win into back-to-back victories. Then I'll be a little bit more uh, enthused and encouraged about her long-term prospects in the division. But again, I'm being a fucking hater. Like, she's got the co-main event spotlight. Yeah, she hadn't been in the best form. Couldn't ask for much more. She couldn't have had a better win. So Stoliarenko gets the biggest spotlight of her life, produces the biggest finish of her life. Let's see where she goes from here. Best of luck to her. I'm sure she's got another few arms she's going to break along the way. Uh, But like I said, women's flyweight absolutely stacked. But now, it's time to get on to the main event, the fight that everyone was tuning in for, the return of England's own Tom Aspinall, last seen at this very venue, injuring himself very early against Curtis Blades, a banger fight that we never got to see, which sucks as well because they came out fucking swinging. That one looked like it was going to be a banger. Tom Aspinall returns to action against Marcin Taibura who looked out as a bit of a gatekeeper of the division, uh, but with a win in this one, Marcin Taibura would find himself in title contention. Not to be, though. Tommy Aspinall, a finish in under two minutes. I am yet to see it. Cannot wait as well. Tom Aspinall. I mean, we've been waiting for this return 
for a while because Tom Aspinall is a major, major player in the heavyweight division. Now, we've got Jones and Stipe at the end of the year. Uh, Tom Aspinall as well. He said he's going to be making an appearance in Paris. Keep a watchful eye over Cyril Garn against Sergei Spivak. So it looks like Aspinall fights the winner of that. Sergei Pavlovich, I believe, has earned the right to challenge the winner of Jones and Stipe. But we have a main event to get into, and we have a huge return. And I've already seen the result. This is a return that couldn't have gone much better. So let's finish off the podcast with our main event, Tom Aspinall, Marcin Taibura. I will be back in less than two minutes with my thoughts and comments. Fuck me dead. That. Wow. Tabura, zero strikes landed. Tabura didn't land a single strike. Tom Aspinall comes out, looks fantastic on the feet, threw up a high leg kick as well. Very early on, I think that's a perfect way to test it out. Come back from a knee injury. First thing you do, fucking test it out. 73 seconds, all it took. Not much I can say about the fight. Plenty I can say about Tom Aspinall. Let's not forget, Marcin Taibura is no joke. This is the 10th ranked heavyweight in the world. We've seen Taibura go toe-to-toe with the most dangerous men in the game. And nobody, nobody has done that to Marcin Taibura. Look, I got Polish heritage, so love myself some Marcin Taibura. Unfortunate to see him lose. Tommy Aspinall as well, though. He has Polish heritage. So there you go. Uh, But Tom Aspinall, for fuck's sake. I mean, this is a contender. Now, we know he's going to go to France. He is looking to fight the winner of Sergei Spivak, who he's already beaten comprehensively, and Cyril Garn. Uh, Now, given that's in Paris, let's say Garn wins. Tom Aspinall, Cyril Garn. That's a hell of a matchup. Money to be made there. Even if Sergei Spivak beats Garn, Spivak, in his recent run, has done more than enough to earn a chance at redemption. Uh, So as far as what's next for Tommy Aspinall, that looks to be the case. But fuck. I hope John Jones sticks around. And that was what Tom Aspinall spoke about in the lead up to this fight. He wants John Jones to see his performance and think, you know what? I'm going to stick around to fight this guy. See, I think John Jones... And look, he's the greatest of all time. John Jones, despite what he's done outside of the cage, greatest of all time. Scared of no man. We've seen him take the hardest fights on offer. I reckon John Jones, seeing guys like Sergei Pavlovich, seeing guys like Tom Aspinall, and thinking, I'm the greatest of all time. I got a fight against Stipe. Do we see him retire after that? I fucking hope not. If John Jones retains the title, John Jones versus Sergei Pavlovich. Who doesn't want to see that? John Jones versus Tom Aspinall. Who doesn't want to see that? John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. I wanted to see that. Again, just a classic case of Dana White shenanigans, fighter pay, whatever. Seeing a lot of haters of Francis Ngannou as well. The fuck's up with that? Have you ever had a boss that's underpaying you? underappreciated, a boss that's not treating you right. 
Did you fucking stay at that job? If you did, you're a sucker. Francis Ngannou, huge win to walk away from the money on offer on principle. I like it. I wish Francis Ngannou all the best. Boxing Tyson Fury. Mind you as well, so fat payday coming in. But with Ngannou gone, the heavyweight division must go on. John Jones. I hope he sticks around, even just for one more year. Jones vs. Pavlovich, Jones vs. Aspinall. I'd pay good money to see either of those fights. And Tom Aspinall, the trajectory he's on, he's not just beating former world champions, top 10 fighters, uh, things like that. He's finishing them in the first round. I think Tom Aspinall's average fight time in the UFC is about two minutes. Unbelievable. This guy, he isn't just winning. Like, he is steamrolling through the heavyweight division. And I've mentioned a couple of times, heavyweight, there aren't that many guys around 260 pounds that are athletes. You get some big fighters that, look, there are some heavyweights who can knock anyone out and they carry a bit of a belly on them. But Tom Aspinall, this is a genuine heavyweight. This is a guy who moves like a middleweight, hits like a truck, and just his build, he's like the perfect build for heavyweight. He's very naturally gifted. Seems like the UFC heavyweight championship is in his future. So I'm so excited. You could not have a better return than that. Aspinall spoke about the disappointment last time around when he got injured. Fans paying their hard-earned money to witness the main event only to see it over before it even began. Well, if Tom Aspinall wanted to send the fans home happy this time, he's certainly done that. It doesn't get much better than that. It really doesn't. Marcin Taibura, I didn't see that coming. Marcin Taibura is a tough customer. We saw against someone uh, like Alexander Romanov, who at one stage looked like he could be a bit of a phenom in this division himself. Taibura, he handled what Romanov had to throw at him, and he took him the whole distance. 73 seconds, all it took for Tom Aspinall to roll through the 10th ranked heavyweight. Something else. That's my biggest takeaway. Tom Aspinall is something else. Something very special. And look, the return, it all went to plan. In fact, it went better than to plan. And we can now look forward as to what's next. September, Paris, Cyril Garn, Sergei Spivak. Tom Aspinall cage side. I'm down. I'm down for that. So look, we've got the card in England, done and dusted. Easily the biggest highlight of the card, the main event. Tom Aspinall. He's made of the right stuff. He really is. He's something else, this guy. And to watch his journey so far, he's been enjoyable. But it feels like the best. The best is yet to come. Huge star over in the UK. Huge star worldwide, uh, given how epic he's been throughout his UFC run. Tom Aspinall, fucking hell. Aspinall versus John Jones, I'm down. Uh, Aspinall versus Stipe Miocic, I'm down. Aspinall versus Sergei Pavlovich, I'm fucking down. Like heavyweight division toward the bottom end, respectfully, it's pretty trash. Like there are some heavyweights, like I said. Not everyone who's 260 pounds is athletic. Some of them are just 
literally just fighters, like born to fight. Tom Aspinall has everything, everything and more. So right now at the top end of the heavyweight division, outside of Francis Ngannou, couldn't possibly be more exciting. There's just a bit of a gap right now, I must say. There is a gap between the best and the rest. So heavyweight, I would like to see a few more faces come into the mix, really stack up this top 15. Uh, but at the pointy end, gee whiz, Aspinall, Pavlovich, Cyril Garn, uh, Sergei Spivak, they're all on a pretty big tear right now. We've also got Derek Lewis and Marcos Rogerio de Lima uh, on UFC 291 next weekend. And look, Marcos Rogerio actually forming a bit of a run himself. And with a win there, he could actually throw himself into the mix. So I am pumped for the second half of this year, uh, particularly when it comes to the heavyweight division. So biggest takeaway from this one, Tom Aspinall, amazing return. I'll be shocked if he's not fighting for the title. 2024, at latest 2025. Seems like before he gets that title shot, though, there might be one or two very fun fights that he's involved with. I mean, Cyril Garn, Tom Aspinall is a matchup I'm keen for. So we'll leave it there. It's been UFC Thoughts and Comments. And I will be back next weekend, not just for the UFC 291 Predictions podcast, uh, but I'm also going to be doing a live Thoughts and Comments. So I'm going to sit down as the action's happening. I'm going to have no idea who's going to win the fight. And we're going to get amongst the card, headlined by a BMF championship fight. The most prestigious championship in all of fighting. The baddest motherfucker. The baddest motherfucker. No longer with Jorge Masvidal, even though he lost like three or four times in a row. Apparently the belt wasn't on the line. Now we've got two bad motherfuckers in Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. Can't say they haven't earned the right to fight for the belt. Is it a gimmick belt? Well, Dana White hates gimmicks, doesn't he? I mean, that was the whole thing with Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury. Dana White, he would never, never resort to something as cheap as gimmicks. Especially a gimmick championship. No, this is for the baddest motherfucker. Not sure exactly what weight class that is. Apparently, 155 pounds. So there you go. Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, they have met before as well. Poirier getting the fourth round knockout victory. And look, it might be a gimmick championship. But the winner of this, they actually become very relevant as far as who challenges Islam Makashev or Charles Oliveira, should he win in Abu Dhabi. Winner of Gaethje Poirier, pretty close to a title shot, you gotta say. Whilst the loser, that might be it. They might find themselves just fall back that little bit too far and then have to rack up those wins and basically start again. So it's a very important main event. And look, the BMF Championship carries pay-per-view points. Whoever holds the belt gets more money for it. So I've sp spoken plenty about how I feel about Dana White and his frugal attitude. So fuck it. Yeah, I'm all for the BMF belt if it means someone gets paid. It's not like Poirier or Gaethje are going to be like you know, rolling around town with the title above their head, like, I'm the BMF champion. Like, it's, it's a gimmick belt, but these are two bad motherfuckers, so no disputing that they should fight for the title. And hey, if it means they get paid a little bit more 
than fucking like, you know, a pocket full of coins and whatever food Dana White has laying around from Fuck It Friday. If they can get a payday, why shouldn't we be all about that, right? So I'm all about it. BMF Championship. Two bad motherfuckers. Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier. Gonna be a fun fight. Co-headliner. Now, there was talk this might be for the light heavyweight championship, given Jamal Hill has just relinquished the belt. Right now, it looks like it's going to be a three-rounder. We've got Alex Poetan Pereira, former middleweight champion, moving up. Uh, I don't think that surprises anyone. Against Jan Blachowicz, who at one stage was talking about moving down to 185. Uh, so I think this is a logical matchup. Not for the title as things stand. In my opinion, winner faces Yuri. If Yuri is good to go uh, toward the end of the year. If not, maybe winner faces Uncle Iev. Not exactly sure, but I feel like this co-main event is a title eliminator. Winner challenges for the belt. Alex Pereira, he starches people. Sends them to the Shadow Realm. Jan Blachowicz, very much the same. Polish power that is completely wrecked. Guys like Luke Rockhold. So that is going to be a fun fight. Feels like we're destined to see a knockout in that one. Have to wait and see though. I'm trying to think what else we've got. Tony Ferguson and Bobby King Green. I'm a bit nervous about that. Because Tony Ferguson, I mean, we want to see him win. Bobby Green, an opponent where that is more of a possibility. But fuck, it's going to be sad if Tony loses, especially if he gets finished. Like, Bobby Green, good fighter. But, yeah, I feel like Bobby Green, if he finishes that one, it's going to be sad. But we're not going to get sad right now. I mean, for all we know, Tony Ferguson's going to win, and it's fucking awesome that we get to see him. Anyway, so we've got Ferguson on the card, Gaethje on the card, Poirier, not to mention the Black Beast. Derek Lewis, how good. Michael Chiesa, Kevin Holland, Stephen Thompson, Michelle Pereira. It's going to be a fun card. There's more than two bad motherfuckers on this card. Looks like a whole card full of them. So UFC 291 with UFC London now in the rearview mirror. I'll be turning my focus to next weekend's pay-per-view card. Preview and predictions podcast out during the week. Thoughts and comments back on Sunday Australian time. I'll be recording during the card, so as soon as the card's finished, I'll whip through a bit of editing and we'll put the podcast out into the world. But that's been it for today's London podcast. Easily the biggest highlight, Tom Aspinall could not have had a better return. And just like that, he is right back in the title picture of the heavyweight division. It's a great way to finish a card that, look, since COVID, all the Apex cards, fuck, I just love a fight night with a crowd. And the American ones are good, but like, fuck. Love when they go to England or when they go to Singapore. Or where else have they been? They were going to go to Korea at one stage. I'm like, fuck yeah. Put a whole heap of Koreans and Asians on the card and then ended up taking place at the Apex, which was a bit rogue. There are a few other ones, aren't there? We had the Canadian pay-per-view of course, a couple of Australian pay-per-views. Paris. Paris, their first card last year was amazing. We got Paris again in September. And yeah, I love fight nights with the crowd. The Apex, I actually don't mind. I can enjoy an Apex card. 
But that goes back to what I said earlier. UFC at times can be very cheap, considering they are the global leaders of mixed martial arts. They can be very cheap. And the Apex, yeah, sometimes it's just like, okay, you're just doing that so you don't have to worry about ticket sales. You can fucking get Mark Zuckerberg in there for the price of, like, a whole stadium anyway. But, yeah, I don't know. I like the fans. I like when there are fans there. Apex is good, but, yeah, I don't know. It feels like there's a purpose for it, like it's built. It's good for Ultimate Fighter. It's good for Contender Series. But it's best with the crowd. I think that goes without saying. So... When it goes international, when they take it to London, when they take it to other parts of the world, I love it. You get to see fighters from that region as well. It's a real great showcase of different nationalities and their mixed martial arts superstars. And Mexico, well, Mexico, we haven't seen for a little while. But I tell you what, Mexican MMA exploding right now. And that's definitely a part of the world uh, that I'm keen to see host another fight night. Even going back and watching tape and shit, like I just watched one today, Roman Kopolov in Moscow, Russia. It's like, shit, you know, a Russian card would be good. Probably not fucking right now with everything going on. So I think Moscow probably off the table. But in general, why do the Apex when we can go to fucking Korea? I would way rather watch a Korean crowd going off than just a bunch of rich people in the apex like oh shit it's jared leto again fucking cool cool i want to see the korean jared leto let's get a card over in seoul you know and yeah just going back and watching old tape seeing fights in sweden things like that it's time let's as bruce buffer says it's time less apex more international please Now, I know there are heaps of costs associated with that, and Uncle Dana doesn't like to part with his cash if he doesn't have to, but fuck, I'll leave it there. I will take a London card with a heap of English fighters over an Apex card any day of the week. I will take an Australian card with the best Australasian... I can't speak, fucking... I'm speaking a whole new fucking language, apparently. Australasian was what I was trying to say. Fighters, so the Aussie cards with Aussie and Kiwi fighters. Hell yeah, down for that. Give me a Korean card with Korean fighters. A card in Japan. Brazil, we got to see Brazil. That was fun. They booed and they threw shit at Brandon Moreno. Fuck yeah, whatever. It's something else. Brazil. Look how many Brazilians there are in the UFC. Not that hard to put a few fucking Brazilian cards together. So yeah, that's my big takeaway coming off this London card, bring back more international fight nights. Give us fucking Scotland. Chuck Paul Craig on there. Chuck Chris Duncan on there. Right now, it's just like, mmm. There's only so much Apex I can take. And it's a mixture. Some of the fights, it's like, yeah, I can see why this is in the Apex and not in front of a crowd. But other times, it's criminal. You're putting fighters in the peak of their powers. In the apex in front of no one. You know, there are a few fights I see where I'm like, why is this not in front of a crowd? So that is what I would like to see. 
More London cards. Fuck, take it to Manchester. Take it to Scotland. Let's go back to Ireland. Why not go to Cardiff? There are so many places you can go. Take it back to Auckland, New Zealand. Saw a card there just before COVID. And I want, I want fucking rare parts of the world too. I want a card in Budapest. Feel like there has been. Like before the pandemic, UFC was traveling the globe. They're still doing that now, but I want more of it. Spain. We're now hearing a bit about Spain uh, with Ilya Tapuria. Things like that. Who's also Georgian. Fucking hell. Why not have a card in Georgia? I feel like, I'll tell you what, if I walk down the street in Georgia, not a huge population, I reckon 9 out of the 10 guys would kick my fucking ass. Same as Dagestan. Tell you what, if I go to Dagestan, I will be on my best behavior. Not talking shit to anyone. But yeah, why not take a card to Georgia? Apex, meh. Boring. It's getting boring. Like, what I'd like to see is use the Apex cards as like a stepping stone. Put fighters in the Apex as a proving ground. But if they prove themselves, put them on a fucking pay-per-view or fight night with a crowd. The Apex, it's cool, but it's not as cool as Korea or London or Australia or Auckland or Budapest or Spain, France, Paris, fucking Germany, Italy. Like, come on. Let's, let's get a few more international fight nights. They're fun. I like them. Love the crowds. And fucking hell, it's not 2020 anymore. When's the last time you even heard someone talk about COVID? Who's the last person you know that had COVID? Are you still wearing a mask? Well, then why the fuck are we still doing these cards in the apex? I've been ranting, so I'm going to stop. What a card London was, though. That's what triggered the thought. We need more of this. Why not have more of this? Seriously, the crowd brought the energy. The fighters put on one hell of a show. And yeah, imagine if that Aspinall moment was in the apex. Seriously. You know? The crowd, the fighters, everyone's being robbed. There's some special moments. And if you can't put a card together that's going to sell out an arena, well, maybe you should look at the cards you're putting together. Which, to be honest, I actually think the matchmaking is one of the UFC's strongest points. The more you deep dive into each matchup, they make a ton of sense. Very interestingly, uh, as far as the stylistic matchups. So the matches are there. They're building fighters week in, week out. Let's get more crowds. I want to see Korea. I'm manifesting a Korean card. On Yong Haseo, Korea. That's right, I got a bit of Korean in the arsenal that I can pull out at any moment. Fuck, I might even fly over. Might even fly over, who knows. I want to see the Iron Turtle, who I believe is Korean. If not, that might be bordering on a little bit racist. Uh, let me check the Iron Turtle. Had a great fucking celebration uh, off his last win. Excuse my typing. I'm supposed to be finishing up the podcast. I've gone full Korean. No, Junyun Park, the Iron Turtle, is Korean. I'm basically Korean. I have the whole scene down pat. And it's just an example. It doesn't have to be Korea. But if you give me a choice, Seoul, Korea, or the Apex, I'm taking Korea. So, Onyong Haseo Dana White, please, sir, 
few more crowds, a few more crowds here and there. Don't mind the apex, but don't be fucking lazy. Don't be lazy, please. That's my rant done. I, I could go on for hours, so that's why I must stop it here. And let me let me circle back to the big highlight. Tom Aspinall, back in the mix, back in the title picture. Steamrolled Marcin Tybura like we have never seen before. We knew Tom Aspinall was special. But coming off this win, we still don't know the extent of just how special Tom Aspinall is. He seems to know, has confidence in spades, very keen to see where he's going to go from here, very keen to see where the UFC are going to go from here, and whether that involves my beloved career. We'll see. We'll see. But tell me, London, Apex, there's a discrepancy in the feelings. Like when you watch it, Apex, it's a bit amateur level. Not the fighters, not the fighting, but like I said, UFC, they have the tendency to be cheap. Things like the judging at times comes across very amateur. Ultimate Fighter, a show I love watching, but fuck, even the production of that seems quite cheap. So, yeah. Stop trying to save your pennies, Dana. Korea is where the money is at. Or Spain, or Budapest. I'm ranting again. We are going to call it there. Sorry. Fucking hell. Tom Aspinall closes out the night. Fantastic win. Not the best card I've ever seen in my life. Not the worst. Lots of fun moments. And we shall now see where the winners of tonight take their careers from here. A lot of them positioning themselves quite nicely within their divisions. Whilst we'll also get to see how do the losers of tonight, how do they respond? And can they bounce back? We shall see, but I'm going to call it there. Otherwise, I am fucking going full Korean on your ass. So let's park it there. Thank you very much for listening, especially up to this point. 20 minutes of ranting to finish us off. But there you go. UFC London, thoughts and comments. I will be back for the 291 Predictions podcast. But until then, have a rip awake and take care of yourselves. Alright, now that everyone else is gone, just me and you, let's get this Korean chat back up and running. Actually, nah, nah, we'll hold, we'll hold the Korean chat. I know you hung around, but uh, we'll get to it. Annyeonghaseyo.